some of the strongest levers to pull are the most basic and easy, which is keep your machines running, keep your place clean, keep it safe there. You know, keep the people who you want there and keep them coming back and the people that you don't want there, keep them out of there. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome back, my great to wealth listeners. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic which is very different than all the other topics we have talked about. We're going to talk about washing clothes. Yeah, we're going to talk about laundromats, how to invest in laundromats. And the, the guest of today's show is Jordan Berry. And he, we, we were just catching up just before we went there. I was telling him, I don't know much about the laundromat, but I'm hearing so much about laundromat right now that I'm intrigued myself and potentially looking at buying one for myself or my investors. And when Jordan's name popped up, I'm like, you know what, this is the perfect guy to talk. So I'm going to use this 30, 40 minutes as a free consulting hour for me. So I'm going to learn everything I want to learn about the laundromat so that I get smart enough to try to figure out what the next step needs to be. And for the listeners, you'll actually learn how I dig into a new asset class. And hopefully you can leverage that as you're thinking about where to invest, what to invest in, and how do you understand, how do you break down an industry to the level you're comfortable. Everyone's going to have a different approach. And my approach is not perfect. But use it to advantage of trying to figure out what that framework of analyzing an industry is and see how you want to, whether you want to invest in it or not. Jordan, without further ado, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's an honor to be here. And let's get you educated so you can get your first laundromat. That's a goal, man. What did they say? First laundromat in first 90, in 90 days? Is that the, isn't that a goal? 90 days. We can get you one in 90 days. All right, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's do that. Anyway. I need to wash my clothes. Let's do that. Let's get your laundromat so you don't have to wash your clothes anymore. How about that? You didn't like that, man. Now you're talking like an investor. You got my ears. Jordan, before we go into the laundromat conversation, I had a question for you. When you hear the term migrate to wealth, what does it mean to you? What it can, I, For me, it could go either way, like a couple different ways. So it could be like, hey, if you're looking for a chance at a better life, number one, if you're here in you know the States, that's where I am. And you're just looking to migrate from a lower income to a higher income. That's what I'm thinking about on how to migrate to actually living out a wealthier life. But it also could mean if you're looking to come from one place to another place so that you can have a better life for yourself and your family. Yeah. I see that as migrating to wealth also. So tell us your journey of migrating into wealth. What did it mean to you at that time when you made that call, made the decision? What does the journey look like for you and where are you now and how you define wealth? Yeah. So I was a pastor for almost 15 years and most pastors, wealth isn't primary motivation for being yeah. in that business. Unless maybe you're on TV or something. I don't know, but I wasn't. So the primary motivation for me. And in fact, when I left ministry full time in order to just change, have a change of direction in life, I ended up buying a laundromat in order to do that. 
But the goal still at that point wasn't really to be wealthy in the way that I thought of it. But looking back on it now, I think the goal was actually to be wealthy if you define wealth as having your expenses covered so that you have more free time to be able to do the things that you want to do, which for me was spending time with my family and friends and building a business. So Jordan, that's actually, and thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. You're now the second pastor who has turned investor that I know at least, which is amazing. So I always love talking to the intersection between spirituality and wealth because they're not that different. I think it's just the way the world perceives it as different. So before we go further though, let's go back in time. What made, if you don't mind me asking that question, please choose to say no. What made you leave ministry? Yeah. So I had at the time, this was almost, this was about a decade ago, almost a decade ago. So my kids were very young and my wife was stay at home mom for the first time. She's a teacher. And for the first time, she's a stay at home mom. And ministry is great. I love almost everything about doing ministry and you're getting to be a part of people's lives and really try to help people live their best lives. Really, that's the goal and connect with God and, and all that. But ministry can also be pretty taxing and demanding on time, but also on emotional energy. You're getting thrust into a lot of difficult situations of pe- things that pe- other people are going through. Sure. And so it's just, it was a phase in life where I was like, I want to spend that emotional energy on my own family and raising my own kids and my wife and stuff. And so it was just a good time to take a break from doing that and yeah. trying to find whatever the next thing was. And thank you for sharing that again, because it's always harder to go back in time, especially when there's a lot of complex decision-making, because it's not a simple decision to leave ministry. So that's cho- it's a no. lifestyle of choice to serve a better purpose and a bigger purpose to then move out of it. That's really what I wanted to understand what was going on at that time in your life. Now, how did you move? It's not the most logical transition from being in the ministry to now owning a lawn. So tell us that thought process. What you, what was going through your head when you started looking at Andromat as a viable exit option? And, and to, to for the lack of better terms, I know it's not an exit option, but as a way of transitioning out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think it works. The story goes like this. When you've done ministry for so long in my education, I ended up getting a degree in ministry and all that. And then you're like, okay, well, I don't want to do ministry more. Then the big question is, what can I do? What can I do? Yeah. I don't have any other like skills or talents. And so I was trying to figure out what to do really. And it was a little bit of a crisis, identity crisis for me. And so I came up with what I thought was a great plan, which was we live here in Southern California and we own our house here. And so I was like, why don't we rent out our house here in Southern California? Let's take the money we have in the bank and let's go buy a condo on the beach in Hawaii and do whatever, I don't know, sell jewelry, get behind whatever on the beach. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I thought that was a great idea. And my wife said we could do that or we could buy a laundromat. And so why did she, why did she, how did she think about laundromat? Help me understand that because either somebody in your family owns it or you listen to something or somewhere. Yeah. It's either you or your wife drove you to laundromat. Why? This is very out of character for my wife. In fact, it did not go well for us early on. And we can talk about that, dig into that, what that looked yeah, like that. in a second. But there's been many a days where I think she maybe had regretted suggesting that. But the way it came about was a family friend. So my wife's parents, friends, 
You can follow that. Yeah. He worked a tech job in the San Francisco Bay Area and he was making good money, but he was working 70, 80 hours a week. And he ended up buying a laundromat, placing that income, and he was working five hours a week. And my wife was like, well, that sounds good. That seems to meet all the goals that we're you know, trying to accomplish here, which is having more time with the family, but still having the income that we want. And so we're like, yeah, that sounds really great. So the concept behind it was income coming in that can help us cover our expenses without requiring a whole bunch of our time. Yeah. And I think that's one of the big draws of laundromats. But like I said, it didn't work out like that for us. Let's talk about that. Why did it not? Yeah. So this was almost a decade ago. And at that time, there really wasn't anything out there in terms of education on the internet. Nobody was posting information. There's just no, almost no information out there at that time. And so I was, I'm just, let's just, we're going to be real on this podcast here. So I was very naive. I knew nothing about business. I knew nothing about real estate investing. I knew nothing about any of that stuff at all. And you will quickly see that So in my story. So I ended up having to essentially rely almost entirely on one of the two people who stood to gain from me buying the laundromat. One is the owner, but I relied almost entirely on the broker, the broker. to help me get this business and to get it off the ground. And it just turned out the broker did not have my best interests in mind and sold me a dream and a laundromat that was really never going to happen. That was mistake one of many to come in terms of buying that laundromat. And so I bought this laundromat. It was a fixer upper. We call it a zombie mat in our industry and basically a fixer upper. And the broker said, look, this laundromat's just breaking even right now, but we're going to be putting new equipment in here. So here's the pro forma numbers. Here's the numbers that we're expecting here. And they looked really good. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I want to say it was like supposed to net five or $6,000 a month. But when I took over, it wasn't breaking even. It was losing thousands of dollars a month. And I put in new equipment. And so I had 100% financed equipment. One of the great things about this industry is that there are some interesting financing options. 100% financed equipment, which and I was implementing Field of Dreams business model. If I build it, they will come. They'll come. Kind of thing. And business did grow pretty significantly percentage-wise when I put in new equipment. However, being underwater from the get-go and then adding a loan payment on top of it, I was still losing $1,000 a month. and I didn't know what to do to get out of it. And it stayed like that for almost like two years. So it was a rough start. I went from expecting to be making $5,000 or whatever it was net to actually losing money for so Jordan, let's take rough. a pause really quick here because I think there's a lot going on there. So I think you went into this business not knowing a lot, not right. necessarily having a partner or you thought was a partner was not your partner, but not necessarily having a mentor or a coach or somebody to guide you through it. You just took nosedive into saying, I'm just going to buy it. You found it. You negotiated it. You closed on it. However, the way you did the analysis was under the assumptions, they were probably not the right assumptions. Seems like it, looking back. Yeah, absolutely. You took, and what you took for the face value wasn't necessarily true. Part of that could be they were lying. A part of that could be your interpretation. Who knows at this point? It was a decade ago. So whatever. It, it. How did you stay with that for two years, Jordan? Help me understand that because 
you didn't have another income. You you just not a, lost a complete income source. Now you're yeah. now in this new business. For two years, you're suffering a loss of over a thousand dollars every month, which is pretty significant. It was like twenty four, twenty five thousand. Yeah, a couple, a couple but, thousand. Yeah, especially when you don't have income coming in. So help us understand that what was going through your mind at that point, and why did you not give up? Yeah. So it got. We're gonna stay real here. It got rough, man. It got really difficult. Financially, obviously, money going out and not coming in. And a lot of us have experienced like when there's financial difficulties, that quickly translate in, translates into relational difficulties cool. too. So my wife, it was just difficult for us relationally too at the same time. And so we were trying to figure it out. But my wife, it was just stressing her out so much. Like we could not communicate about that. And, but it was consuming me. There's a stat that floats around out there. To this day, I'm not exactly sure where it comes from, but the stat says laundromats have a 95% success rate. And so here I am able to figure out this business. I'm right. losing money. And I'm like, how in the world? And I'm like, five percent of people. Man. Yeah, that's can't figure this easy business out. Everybody says it's so easy and I can't figure it out. And I was like, desperate at times. And I was just trying to find anybody who could help me figure out. I knew I saw people around me doing really well in laundromat. So I knew there was a way to do it. And I just felt, man, I'm just missing like one or two pieces of information here that I can't figure out to compound things on myself. Again, very naive. And I didn't know what I was doing. I couldn't find somebody to help me. I did zero marketing whatsoever. I invested all this money into rehabbing the laundromat invested $0 into letting people know about it and rehabbing the reputation of the laundromat, which obviously had a really bad reputation before I took over and before I put new equipment in, before I was keeping the wrong people out and making it safe and keeping all the machines working or all that had a really bad reputation. Why well, I invested no money into that. And I was scared to because money was already going out. And I'm like, well, am I going to spend even more money on marketing? I don't know if it's going to work. I don't really know anything about marketing. And so I just turtled up on myself. And so things just it got rough, man. It got really rough. And your question was, why did I stay in it? Why did I keep after it? And maybe I shouldn't have, but I did. And keeping it real, partly, huge part, because I just refused to get out of the business paying in that 5% that couldn't figure it out. Because there's a little bit of pride and stubbornness in there too. But also I didn't know how to get out. Like I had just invested all this money in new equipment and business wasn't even worth what I had invested into it. So I really just didn't even know how to get out of it either at that point because I was losing money. And I'm like, who's going to pay even what I paid for the equipment for this business? It's losing money. And so part was stubborn and pride and part was I genuinely didn't know how to get business. So now, now let's fast forward. Okay. Has the problem been fixed? Problem has been fixed. Yeah. It just, it took time and it shouldn't have taken as much time as it did because I didn't do anything to help it. Over time, by just running a solid business and keeping things go, keeping the machines running, keeping the place clean, keeping homeless people out of there and gangbangers out there and stuff like that keeping that stuff in line and just running a solid business. Over time, the reputation did improve and new people moved into the neighborhood. And so business did build up over time there. But that was a process. It took a couple of years for that to happen, for right. to hit that break even, and then to go from there. Whereas if I had 
been a little more proactive at promoting it and getting people in the doors. I could have really shortcut it. Yeah, I think Jordan, you're touching a very important because buying a business and by apartment complexes, Airbnb homes, buying anything is very easy. If you got the money to get the resources, it's very it's the easiest thing to do. Running it is usually the hardest thing to do. And especially for people like yourself and even me leaving the corporate job, you forget to nobody tells you how important marketing is. Nobody tells you how important sales is. You're in your unless you're in those two lanes, you're in your lane and you're like, this is what I know, this is what I'm great at. I'm gonna continue doing that. And then when you remove yourself and running a business, you're like Everything I knew, I need to throw it out. There's only two skills that matter the most. One is, are people coming in and am I able to convert them? With any business you do, it's going to be, in our case, multifamily apartments. Do we have the prospects coming in and are they signing the lease? Simple math. In your case, do people know about the improvements I've had done? So there's going to be more footfall and how many of them are consistently coming in to make sure they can use the services? And I think you were partially saved in this specific example is because the market around the area changed. The whole area got uplifted. It always helps because the area is getting uplifted. New people are coming in. They're looking for solution. And at that point, if the reputation was, there's no preceding reputation to fix because they didn't know that reputation, their previous reputation anyways. I think that's where I was going to go with is that what is the success criteria for running a laundromat? Is it and you have to buy it right? Or is it you have to market it right? What are some of the key, if you were to say, these are the top five levers in a laundromat business to make sure that it's it's potentially successful? What would they be? Yeah, the buy side is important as with any investment. However, if you're not buying a fixer-upper that you already know is not making money, it's either losing money or it's breaking even. If you're buying an existing laundromat that's already performing, then one of the great things about laundromats is that the margins are pretty good. Like a bit, a base hit average laundromat, you're looking at like 20 to 25% return on your money. That's unleveraged before loans. Yeah, it's hard to find that, especially with something that requires as little time as laundromats do to actually manage. And again, just real quick on that, like they get billed as a passive investment, passive business. And I would say that they're not passive. Anytime you deal with people or machines, you're going to have problems. There's going to be things to manage. So they're not passive, but you can set them up. So they're pretty heavy on the passive side of the scale from passive to active. So you can set them up that way. So go back to your question of what are the levers to pull? Some of the strongest levers to pull are the most basic and easy, which is keep your machines running, keep your place clean, keep it safe there, keep the people who you want there and keep them coming back. And the people that you don't want there, keep them out of there. So some of those basic levers are just run a good business and then just do it every day consistently, which for someone like me is actually easier said than done, right? I'm not like the keep things the same, keep them going, get into a rhythm kind of guy, more of the entrepreneur. Okay. We've got it up and running. Now let's do the next thing. But that consistency is key there. Marketing, I think is a relatively low-hanging fruit in our industry right now. Most laundromats still to this day don't do any marketing and it wasn't really needed in the past, but now the the implementing marketing and they're showing a lot of growth because of it. So Jordan, tell this low-hanging. 
I never would have thought marketing is going to work in the laundromat. That's not the first thing because, and maybe I'm looking at the wrong demographic, maybe I'm looking at it all upside down. When I look at laundromat as in, I'm usually living in an apartment complex or a place where I don't have a washing machine inside my unit or in the facility. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go two miles out, even if it's the best laundry machine there, if there's a laundromat right in front of my building. So when we talk about marketing, because some of these people, they're going to say that, hey, there are five apartments, community area, there's only one laundromat. Everyone's just going to come to that one laundromat because nobody's going to carry their bucket of dirty clothes and uh, go right. find the best laundromat. That's not what they're looking for. It's not like a massage. You're looking for a best masseuse. You're looking for uh, a commodity yeah. washing clothes. Uh, yes, you want to have a clean place and all that stuff. So when we start talking about marketing, who are we attracting in marketing? So on the self-serve side, which is what you're talking about, there you're right. There's a very small number of people that you're really fighting for here. And part of it's going to depend on your market. If you're in a bigger, a larger market like in LA, New York, Chicago, some of the Texas markets, some of the Florida markets, a, a larger city, then you've probably got multiple laundromats in an area. And the majority of the people closest to each laundromat are just going to go to that closest laundromat as long as it's relatively clean right. and they can get what they need. The machines are going to work, all that stuff. So that's true. And then there's very sort of few people that you're fighting over in the middle there that could go left and they go to this right. laundromat. They go. So it's relatively small. However, so I'd say that's where the marketing gains can be on a self-serve laundromat by and large. However, rowing in this industry is the service side of the business, which is drop off laundry and pick up and delivery. And I think that's where you can really supercharge your growth with a laundromat through marketing is on the service side of the business. So not every laundromat's going to have the service side of the business. And a lot of people get into this industry not wanting that side, which is totally fine. You don't have to have that side of the business right. to succeed. But if you do have that side, marketing can really supercharge service business for sure. Mm. And even who is the demographic that's serving the land, that laundromat is serving? Are we serving residential customers or are we also doing B2B? So by and large, so again, it depends on your business model. So if we're talking self-serve laundry, by and large, it's going to be residential. We're looking at below median income people who are utilizing laundromat. We're looking at typically renters, not always, but typically renters. Yeah. And then obviously the larger the household size, the better for a laundromat because that probably means kids. And we all know kids are filthy, disgusting creatures. Of course, we got, we got, got on, you know, we both got one, so you know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we know. So that's on that side. In terms of the service side, again, residential, very common for drop-off for pickup and delivery, but also that B2B is can be really big business for a laundromat to have, relatively speaking, because you're getting laundry in bulk, you're getting it relatively regularly, and you're dealing with one person instead of a whole bunch of other people on the residential mm-hmm. side. So it can go both. Are there in laundromats, are there a hybrid between the two where some in the morning you can do self-serve, in the evening you do commercial? Oh, yeah. Yeah, lots of laundromats do both and they'll do it side by side with customers. Obviously, they try to schedule it. They're actually processing for the pickup and delivery or the service side. Try to process that at their less busy times whenever possible. And if it gets big, a lot of laundromats will do their self-serve stuff or during the day and their service side at night or something like that. And then when you outgrow that, that's when a laundromat owner might 
to a separate location just for the service sure. side, drop off, pick up and delivery. Got it. And then and when you're looking, Jordan, you're saying about a decade ago, there was not a lot of information available on Laundromat. Has it changed now? Are there, is there more information about Laundromat? I mean, I see things popping up on my email every now and then about Laundromat. So I'm assuming that has changed. And if, it, if the answer is yes, what exactly is causing that change? Yes, that has changed. There's definitely more information. There's a lot more to be had. And still, I would say the majority of the information out there is what I would call infotainment. I think of a Cody Sanchez. I think of yeah. a Brandon Schlichter with Investment Joy. They promote laundromat ownership, which I think is great. Do they have a, a lot of very specific information on how to buy a laundromat? Not really. Do they have courses? They both promote courses, but they're not detailed courses because they do a whole bunch of other things. Because that's not their own, that's not a bread and butter for other they businesses. Do. Correct. It's one of many for them, which is fine. But there are more people putting content out there. A lot of it's what I'd call infotainment, which is great. And th- but there is more information that's just, here's what you need to know if you're going to buy a laundromat. There's a lot of potential gotchas when buying a laundromat. They're cash businesses, be difficult to verify income and expenses. So you need specific information on how to actually buy a laundromat in order to do that and how to operate a laundromat depending on your business model and what business model is going to fit well for you. So there's definitely more information out there than ever before, and there's more coming out all the time. So, and Jordan, when we were talking before before we went on air, you we were talking about the industry is changing, laundromat itself. Can you give us some ideas of how, I think we talked about one, which is the service side instead of self-service. What are the other changes? Are we changing the way that, is it how in the car wash industry, it's becoming membership driven now that you can wash as many clothes as you want? or as many cars as you, as many times your car as you want in a week, nobody cares as long as you're paying X dollars per week. So how is the laundromat industry changing? A few things on a few different fronts. So number one, I'd say just the amount of promotion laundromat is getting, laundromats are getting as a business right now. I'd say Cody Sanchez, Investment Joy, some of those other channels, they're really promoting this industry, which I think is bringing awareness to frankly, a lot of real estate investors and other business owners who are looking for cash flow right now. Cash flow is hard to find in real estate right now and a lot of other industries and and laundromats are a cash flow business. So we're seeing more savvy business owners, savvy investors come into our little mom and pop industry, which I think is great, which is really driving a lot of innovation and a lot of just improvements. When most people think of laundromats, you think of something that's like, kind of dark, kind of dingy. Correct, yeah, right. That The reputation that we have, and for good reason, but we're seeing more people come in with the mindset of, no, it's worth investing in, having a good product for the community and reinvesting in that. A badge of honor, like to my shame, at least it's been a badge of honor in industry to have 30 or 40 year old equipment and keep it limping along. And I think that's not good for communities. And so we're seeing this growth mindset coming into the industry. So that's one thing. I think We've been like a turtle riding a sloth wading through molasses in terms of technological development. Like it's been so slow for decades. The last couple of years, we're seeing some technology come out that allows us to manage bigger portfolios, that allows us to manage from a, a distance, that allows us to not have to tie up our time 
collecting quarters with digital payment systems, softwares to help us manage our business, that kind of thing. So technology is definitely improving here. But going back to your point, in terms of like the membership side of things, I, there's been some people that I've heard try that and it's just, it's still a little difficult to do that because I think what a lot of people who've tried it have found is that a lot of the demographic we serve, the self-serve side, they either have really large families, multiple generation, almost there's like a lot of clothes. Or they're living in an apartment complex, and so they all just band together and say, okay, yeah. let's just get a membership together. It's hard to be profitable for that. So I haven't seen that take off yet. That definitely makes yeah. sense. That definitely makes sense. Wow, man. Such an interesting industry. I really believe that the wave shifting right now from just going to your traditional real estate, where there used to be a lot of cash flow up until a few years ago, where now the cash flows are getting shrunk. And if you're after cash flow, and an asset that's going to appreciate because a business always works on a multiple. So if you're able to add value to the business, which is the same logic as a multifamily, you're going to create more value. You're going to create more equity in the business as a multiple increases. But the key thing is always going to be, how do you start? Jordan, you started it tough, but not a lot of people may have that courage or the perseverance to stay with that. And at two years of patience, most people may say, this is not for me, I'm going to move on. So I know you got resources to help our listeners if they want to jump into trying to buy their own laundromat. Can you help us understand what those resources are? Yeah, absolutely. Resource.com, it's, it started out as a little blog where I was like, man, I've learned these very expensive lessons, expensive financially and emotionally. And so I wanted to share those with other people. So I started a little blog on laundromatresource.com. That blog is, and that website has really turned into a platform where people can connect on this industry and how to get into it and then how to actually optimize your business and then scale your business up if that's your goal. Turns out that writing is difficult and takes a long time. So I started a YouTube channel because I thought that was easier. And then I was like, if I really want to learn how to be the best in this business and want to help people become even better, I need to talk to the people who are doing great stuff in this industry. So that's where the podcast, Laundromat Resource Podcast started. So I host that podcast and it does crazy well for a little laundromat uh, podcast. Yeah. It's very popular and it's because people are coming on willing to share their stories and the hard lessons that they've learned. And so it's a great resource. When people are get to the point where they're like, okay, I'm ready to buy a laundromat. I'm convinced the returns sound great. Time management sounds great. I'm really wanting to go in there. And then we do have a course on all the, everything you need to know to get into this business the right way the first time, which is so key because if you get in the right way the first time, sky's the limit for you because when you're seeing returns of 20, 25% plus unleveraged and, and it goes up from there when you apply a loan, uh, you can really do great things from there. You're talking about migrating to wealth. You can migrate to, uh, right. to wealth. A lot of wealth. So we do have a course that's available to you and we'll send you links where people can get it for a good deal there. It also includes all the, not just the knowledge you need, but also the tools and resources you need that we've created custom to help people get in right way. That's really our passion and our heart. We want to help people achieve that financial freedom as quickly as possible and to not suffer the setbacks that I suffered getting into this business. So well, we appreciate that, Jordan. And thank you for offering the course of the deal. I think there's as our goal for this podcast is to bring the information to people and the least amount of friction that's available. So, so if, I encourage everyone to at least take a look at it 
and see if that makes sense to you. The links will be included in the show notes below. Get us Jordan. Thank you for your time. I really learned a lot already. My head is spinning right now in a good way. That where do I, how do I bridge the gap? And I'm a man of short touch. I'm like, where do I go from A to B? I don't have 90 days. How do I get there in 30? How do I get there in 20 days? And I'm yeah. definitely going to take a look at your course as well to try and see if this thing is for me. I think it is. I just need to figure this. I need to put my put my time and uh, wow. resources around. So thank you again Listen, for coming on. I appreciate it, buddy. I appreciate you coming on. If there's anything I can do to help you or anybody, uh, just let me know. That's Perfect, man. Thank you, Jordan. Take care, buddy. My great to wealth listeners, if you own and manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial capital gain taxes. One option that may help you solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches that are involved with being an active landlord. My friend Ray Druitt is a managing director with Bangerter Financial Services and his goal is to help you understand all of the rules associated with 1031 exchanges. To learn more, you may call him directly at 801-312-9482. Once again, it's 801-312-9482. Or you may visit his website at 1031.bangerterfinancial.com slash 1031guy. Please be sure to see disclosures in the show notes. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.